This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Alyssa Crawford, widowed twice, talks about hope after tragedy. Is it okay to get angry with God? What strengthens a person after tragedy? Well, let's find out. Alyssa is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. We're ready to welcome in Alyssa Crawford, who is joining us in her early 40s. Alyssa has been widowed twice and thus uh, knows the sorrow and heartache, yet she's picked herself up and has moved forward in life as a single mother of three children, all adopted from China. She's here to share her experience of hope after tragedy, and we welcome in Alyssa Crawford. Good morning, Alyssa. Good morning, Ken. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? You look just bright and chipper this morning. (laughs) I am a morning person. Oh, well, that's good. Well, welcome in. And uh, we're going to talk about obviously being widowed twice and your experience, and you'll be able to share some things with us this morning. So let's talk about that. I I just think back to when you and George were in here talking, and and George was always such a character. I loved (laughs) when he came in, but we can talk about that more, too. But let's start here first. Um, You know, you're a widow twice now. You're very young. Uh, Tell us about this and what that has been like for you. Um, first of all, I have to say thank you for saying I'm very young, and the introduction <laughs> is incorrect. I'm not in my early 40s, but somewhere in my 40s. How okay. about that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, you know, I don't even know where to start. I'll kind of give just a short background for those that might not know me. Like you said, George and I used to come on the radio pretty frequently mm-hmm. um, for carathons. I don't know, three or four times we were here probably. So, like you said, I've been widowed twice. I was married before to Tony LeClaire. We lived in Salina, and um, he and I adopted our children together. And then when I was, I think I was 36, 35, I'd have to do the math, which I don't do. So anyway, around that age, he suffered an aortic aneurysm completely out of the blue while he was at work one day in 2010. and. The, the three kids were all in kindergarten at the time, so there I was just completely lost. So that's the short version of that. Very shortly thereafter, well, let me rewind a little bit. So Tony and I were both born into Catholic families, baptized Catholic. He, he was raised Catholic and confirmed, but was no longer practicing when we were married. And I wasn't really raised Catholic. My grandparents were Catholic, but my mom didn't practice. So I had exposure to the church, but... Um, my mom's view of the Catholic Church was very negative, and we went to other churches off and on through my whole life, and my mom was very open to spiritual things and definitely believes to this day in God, but doesn't like structure of any sort whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So Tony and I came to Christ together in our marriage, but not in the Catholic Church. And towards the end of our marriage, which of course I didn't know was the end at the time, the last few years, I was really deeply exploring the Catholic Church and had gotten to the point that I wanted to come back. But he didn't, and I wasn't going to have our family going to two separate churches. So I had this faith journey that was happening at the same time as being widowed from Tony. And so after he passed, I came quickly back into the church because I knew that's where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And then not long after Tony passed, I met George. So for listeners that didn't know George, he was the most Catholic Catholic that (laughs) that you'd ever meet. Very, very intelligent 
very deeply theological. St. Thomas Aquinas, he he could read easily, and yeah. I couldn't even read the primer of the primer of the Summa, you know. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I always thought I was a pretty smart gal until I met him, and then he's just like <laughs> a different level of smart. And so it was really neat meeting him while I was on that journey to strengthening my faith. So I'm making this widowed story very long. Um, but, That's okay. But, we have time. But, but the <laughs> faith aspect of it is such an important part of, of the whole story. So George and I met. And um, we dated long distance. He was from out here, lived out by Cedar Bluff, Trigo County kid, grew up going to school in Ellis. And um, he was divorced and annulled and had four kids with his ex. And she lives here. The kids live here. So when we knew we were going to get married, it was clear that I was going to be the one to move. There was no way I was going to ask him to be further from his kids. They had 50-50 parenting time. And, and of course, you want someone to keep that time with their sure. kids. So... When we married, I moved here, and that's how I ended up here. So we married in late 2011, and then um, in 2016, he was diagnosed with um, head and neck cancer. And from 2016 through 2018, he fought that battle. And in June 29th of 2018 is when he went to be with the Lord. After a very, well, it seemed long to me, it's long when you're watching it, mm-hmm. long hospice battle. The last month, probably six weeks, was super, super rough, so hard for him. And, and like every time hospice left on a Friday, they'd say, this will be the weekend you call us, we know. And, you know, this went on for a month or more that they they thought that it was time for him to go. And it, it wasn't for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And he passed on Friday, June 29th which is the feast day of Saints Peter and Paul, which seems appropriate for George. Mm -hmm. And it was also a Friday, and he passed at about 3 p.m., which, as we all know, Friday's at 3. That's about when Jesus passed. So I thought, this is what you were waiting for. Yeah, so. Well, and I I didn't know Tony, of course, but I knew George and and his incredible sense of humor, too. Uh, He had a way of just making people laugh and uh, so often. And I just uh, some of the things you talked about, his his strong Catholicism and his strong Catholic faith. And I just thought it was interesting. You might share because I think it's a great story. Just a little bit about your your engagement. Maybe share that story as well. Absolutely. Um, Father Rich, Father Richard Days, who's out in Colby now, loves to share this story, too. So. As listeners can probably already tell, I'm a rather talkative person, and it's hard to silence me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and George was definitely the strong, silent type. So um, we knew that we were going to get married. The proposal hadn't happened yet. You know, as adults, you talk about it first, and, and you make all your plans, and, and then you're waiting for all the things to come together. So we had bought a house out here, and I had come out here to close on the house. It was March of 2011. And my kids and I were going to move after the school year ended in Salina, but we had found the perfect house. And so we came out to close on the house and um, we went to lunch and we went to Home Depot to look at paints because we had lots of work to do in the house. And George had introduced me to adoration. I had never gone to adoration, which adoration itself was difficult for me at the beginning because it's silent. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> so after closing on the house and going to lunch and going to Home Depot, he said, why don't we go to adoration for a little while? I said, okay, that'd be great. So we went over to Immaculate Heart and went to adoration. And I would love to know the woman who was having her adoration hour because I, I, I would just love to know if she 
figured out what was going on. So we were there, um, and we knelt and prayed for a while, and then we sat, and again, hard for me to sit and be quiet, and very easy for George, and he was on my left side, and I felt a ring slide on my finger, and... I, you know, it's adoration. You can't say anything. And so I looked at him and it was clearly an engagement ring. And, you know, he had that ornery little grin because he knew precisely <laughs> what he was doing by mm. proposing without words. And so, of course, we had to stay there for a while. What felt like eternity to me, but was, I don't even know. I have no idea how long, how many minutes before we left. And, you know, tears are streaming down my face and I have a million questions. And, and, you know, when did this happen and how come the ring is fits perfect and, you know, how did you do all this? And I can't ask any of that and I can't scream <laughs> yes and I can't do anything. So then when we left Adoration, you know, of course, I was out on the sidewalk there in front of the chapel entrance screaming the yes and, and asking the questions and, and all of that. So, but for George, he thought, what better place to propose than in front of the Blessed Sacrament? Mm-hmm. Um, in front of the Lord, who clearly had a hand in bringing us together. Yeah, it's um, a, that's an incredible story, and I just, I, I just think about George because he would sit in here and that that Henri, uh, little smile he would have, <laughs> and it was always like he was up to something. But you know, and, and just to put all that. So how? I guess I'm curious. You got the ring size. That's probably the, well. Apparently, like standing in my bathroom while I was doing my hair and stuff, he'd. If he was at my house when we were getting ready to go somewhere, I had a little like ring holder, you know, that looks kind of like a, you know, it's like a tower Mm -hmm. and you put rings on it. So apparently while standing in there talking to me one day, because I asked this later, of course, he took one of my rings and put it on one of his own fingers and mentally marked exactly (laughs) where on his finger that it fit. And so then he went to the jewelry store and said, Give me the thing, you know, and had the sizer put on exactly to there. And it was perfect. Wow. wow. <laughs> so very sneaky. I guess. That's just amazing. <laughs> um, and Alyssa, everyone grieves differently, but uh, is grief different for each loved one in their lives that passes away? Kind of share that experience. I'm, I'm, I'm sure the grief was different, but um, you talk a little bit about how you experienced that with Tony and then with George. Such a hard thing to explain, I think. But one thing that has maybe surprised me i don't know because you know you don't know until you go through it is is how very different it is um and i think for a lot of different reasons first of all tony it was completely unexpected and out of the blue with george we knew for a long time i mean we knew for two years that it was going to be a battle we knew for the last nine months of his life that it was terminal but we just didn't know how long for a while things were going very well even after He'd had all the chemo and radiation he could have, and cancer came back in 2017, September of 2017. And we knew at that point it was inoperable. It came back on his carotid, and you can't do surgery on a carotid because with cancer you have to take margins Mm -hmm. beyond the cancer. And you can't take margins of a carotid. There's not a way to take part of your carotid away. And he'd had um, his lifetime dose of radiation. Plus, I don't think that you can radiate a carotid because radiation tightens things and um, like hardens them. And so I don't think you could do that anyway, but he'd already had his lifetime dose. So he started immunotherapy, which is designed to basically help a person live with cancer for longer. It, It teaches your immune system to fight the cancer itself. And so some, some particular cancers do really well with immunotherapy and people can live a long time and fairly healthy 
with immunotherapy, but it's new for the kind of cancer he had. And so that worked for a while, but we knew that cancer was still going to be terminal for him, but we just didn't know. Was it a year or years or decades? Mm -hmm. We didn't know. And so it worked. It was very successful initially, but then in March of 2018, it came back. The cancer came back full force and spreading quickly. So, you know, it was very different, the sudden death of Tony and the knowing, you know, processing all of that together as a couple. So very different lead-ups to the death, I guess, Mm -hmm. and also very different faith experiences. You know, Tony was faithful and 100% saw Jesus as his Savior, but we didn't have that Catholic Catholicness, if that's a word, together. And um, one beautiful thing about Catholicism is really being able to embrace your suffering and join it with the suffering of Christ and and offer that up. You know, we as Catholics often say, sometimes jokingly, offer it up. You know, if you you get hurt on the ball field, offer it up. But George did that completely. From the moment he was diagnosed, he decided that he was going to use his suffering and his journey to help others. And he, you know, he's very outspoken on the radio, but people that knew him elsewhere, you know, if you just saw him at the coffee shop, he, you know, three or four words, and that was usually he was done. And throughout his cancer journey, he just decided that he was going to share love and Christ with everybody. And he did um, the whole time. And so the lead ups to the grief were different. And so the grieving after was different. I don't know. I I just don't even really know how to explain it. But what I have discovered is that when you are when you've gone through something like that, people always ask you, how are you or how are you grieving or what do you do? Or maybe somebody that's going through it themselves, like, how are you doing it? Because I know outwardly, I always look like I'm handling it very well. Um, And I think sometimes that bothers people because I don't always look upset enough, even early on. I'm just the kind of person that I save that for my private time. Sure. And um, mm. and George and I both believed no matter what that God was going to use it. Not that we didn't have times that we cried and shouted or, you know, I kind of railed at God for the way he was doing it. But overarchingly, we believed God had a plan. And if sure. we let him, God would use it. So, And that's kind of what leads into that next question of, of that anger at God, or was there times of frustration? Obviously, there were, understandably. How how was that for you? And uh, um, the first thing that I did as soon as he was diagnosed, as far as talking to God about it, I went outside and stood under a tree, and I I think I, I know I looked up to God, and I think I literally shook my fist and said, seriously, you know, not again, not again. How can you give me something so great after the loss that the kids and I both had with Tony? And then you give me this great marriage and this great guy and this great family and and life was amazing. And now you're going to take it away again? Like, I don't, that was just my, like, seriously? That Mm -hmm. that was really my response. I think very Um, understandably. Yeah. yeah. Um, And there were, there were many times we sat in a lot of churches in Kansas City after appointments or before appointments. And I can remember one church that we were at, and I think I ex- I told you about the church one time, and I think you knew which it was, but they had a stone floor. And it was after his re-diagnosis when we knew the cancer came back. And we stopped at this church and um, just cried and cried. And I can just remember our teardrops falling on their stone floor. 
and it's a memory that will stick with me mm-hmm. forever. And there's really no words. I mean, what do you what do you say? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. Yeah. Well, and the, 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 obviously, an added dimension is the children and and how they um, have to deal with grief as well. You know, you're dealing with your grief. Your children have to deal with their own. And how do you manage? I mean, that talk about a challenge. Obviously, a second a second loss, and now you're grieving yourself, but trying to console your children at the same time. That had to be a, a real challenge. Yeah, and I looked I looked at this question, and I don't even know if I know how to answer it because you just do what you do mm-hmm. in the moment. And our kids have great faith too, and I know that helped. I'm sure there are many things that I didn't do for the kids that they needed. I don't know. You just – it's moment by moment. Yeah. And you try to be present for them and what they need when they need it. And – you know, we have a great support system. Our our whole family has a great support system, whether it was people from church or people in the family. George's mom was there all the time when I needed her, even if it was just one time her and I just laid on the floor together and cried. Like we just, it was a really rough time. It was probably about the last week of George's life. And he was really struggling and it's really hard to watch someone die. And it's really hard to still cook the food and raise the kids and you know everybody processes things different and the kids I think more than anything wanted some normalcy during that time and it isn't nothing's normal and so you I try to maintain the normalcy but also find the balance of helping them grieve and helping them process and and I've never done it before either you know not the hospice way and so it was our support system was amazing yeah. um, neighbors who showed up with food randomly you you know we never asked for anything people showing up with food or hugs or just to sit there yeah so I don't know that that I, yeah I don't have well, any and, answers and that, is a, that is a tough that's a tough one to, to answer I'm sure yeah and and you always I mean uh, you know hindsight's 2020 you always say well maybe I could have done this or done that yeah. as well and, and and sometimes you don't even maybe remember because you're so in the sure. moment of what's happening absolutely we need to take a short break right now but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio we'll be right back with more from Alyssa Crawford on Hope After Tragedy One body God's creation We're back on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. One body, one body, stewarding God's creation. Hope after tragedy. One body, one body. With Alyssa Crawford. One body, stewarding God's creation. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. We're talking with Alyssa Crawford on Hope After Tragedy, and uh, I know you should grab scripture, so is there something there that you want to... I'm just getting ready for your next question. Oh, okay, you are. I got you. (laughs) Well, good. Um, Obviously, um, George's struggle with cancer, knowing that that his departure was imminent. Um, You know, what were some of the things you did, um, both obviously knowing he wasn't going to be here much longer? um, How did you console each other? What did you do uh, in that in that situation? Like I said, George was incredibly faithful, even during times of immense struggles. So 
really um, turning to the Lord a lot. George never missed Mass, I don't think. You know, I mean, it, towards the end, of course, he missed a few times. Um, Father Richard Days was, him and George were great friends. So even after Father Rich moved to Colby, he came to visit George quite a lot and brought the Eucharist to him at home. Um, and just George tried so hard, succeeded at keeping life normal, even when he was sick. There were times during radiation and after surgery and stuff that he couldn't eat normal food, but he still, he loved to cook. And so he still cooked because he loved to cook wow. for us. And he sat at the dining room table to have his his liquid meals, um, which for a good portion of time were too fed. So we all got used to um, watching that. And uh, I think his biggest the way he consoled us was to stay as normal as possible. He installed a new dishwasher while he really shouldn't have been doing that with with all sorts of tubes and whatever, but that's what he did because he was George and he's the husband and the father and that's what you do. You don't pay somebody to come in and do that. We um, Somewhere on that journey, we our water heater exploded. <laughs> Not exploded, but the whole bottom fell out and it was needed right now. And um, his ex-brother-in-law came and helped. He's a, he's a plumber and HVAC guy and all that. So he came and helped and George shouldn't have been doing a darn thing but of course he was, you know, he couldn't let someone else just do it for him. So I think him just continuing to be as normal as possible in the hospital, The um, one of the oncologists came to talk to him about when he might or if he might go back to work. And the oncologist was talking about how long treatment would last. And the oncologist was saying, you know, maybe after chemo and after radiation, maybe you could think about it, but probably you should just be on disability and never work. And George is like, no, I mean, like, I'm going next week. Are you going to sign off on that? <laughs> and he did. He worked. He capped his own trach when he wasn't supposed to because he built roads for a living for Trigo County. He was a greater operator, so it's very dusty. Mm -hmm. So um, he just decided it probably wasn't good to get dust in there. So after the first week, he capped his own trach. And I had to explain that to the doctor in Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, wow. that he was in a little trouble, but... You know, even a doctor isn't going to get too mad at George. He just had that personality that right, exactly. you're not going to call him on it. So I think that just continuing with his faith and his work and our lives as normal as possible was the greatest consolation. And I did. I kind of swiped your Bible here that's because okay. I want to make sure to get this right. Scripture that's on George's headstone and something that, that even before he was sick, we a, a verse that we really put to work in our lives because our lives weren't exactly the perfect Catholic life the way, you know, that we came together as a blended family. It's not what you're, quote, supposed to do, um, but we did it, and it was beautiful, and, and God works great things through whatever he does. So Romans 8.28 was a verse that we just really enjoyed and like to explore. Um, we've asked Father Mitch about the meaning of this when he was here for um, the banquet one time mm -hmm. because it's, it's a meaning that... You, I mean, it's a verse to really struggle with, but Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And to really think about that, all things work together for good. Like, are you sure? And um, we had a really neat conversation with Father Mitch about that um, and, and what our role as Christians is in that, you know, to make all those things work together mm -hmm. and to believe that they do. And to go back a little further, Romans 
was one of George's least favorite books of the Bible. He just, he didn't really resonate with St. Paul very much. He was more of a Peter sort of guy for big theological reasons that I can't explain to you. (laughs) But he, at some point before we met, he had really dug into the book of Romans and started to see some things differently. And so it became one of his favorite books towards the end of his life. And, and as a funny George thing that he would want shared, when I had his headstone done and Romans 8.28 is on the back, they asked, Ron Keithley said, well, don't you want the whole verse written? Because it just says Romans 8.28. And he said, don't you want the verse inscribed on there? You have plenty of room. And I said, no, George would tell people, go look, look it up. Look it up. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. Yep. We're talking with Alyssa Crawford on Hope After Tragedy, sharing her story here today. On your Facebook page, there's a saying that says, isn't it funny how letting go actually makes you stronger? So explain what you mean by that. I'm an absolute control freak. I want to know everything about everything. I want to do it my way. And I think many of us are that way. And something that I've learned in my life, like apparently God thinks he needs to keep teaching me this. And and he's right. He does because I don't do it very well. But it is to let go and let things be how they're going to be because you can't control them. As George and his dad, whom I never met, were fond of saying, people plan, God laughs. And it's true, you know, they're just just letting go and, and letting things be how they are strengthens you, I think, in your faith and just in being okay with life. Yeah. I'm talking a little about your Facebook page, one of the quotes, another quote you have there is, to understand its power, one must realize that love does not mean to have, to own, to possess, but to be had, to be owned, to be possessed. It's not using uh, the using of another for the sake of self, but the giving of self in order to help another. A beautiful quote, and um, uh, just share why that's important to you. Um, first, I wish I would have written down, I meant to write down, it comes from a priest, but I can't remember who, it's out of a book. Um, and I want to pair it also with Thomas Aquinas' definition of love, which is willing the good of another. And, you know, wanting what's best for that other person. That's the truest form of love that there is. And so I think both of those quotes, the Aquinas definition of love and that longer quote that you just read, is so much about the acceptance of love and the acceptance of of gifts, um, both with a little g, gifts from others, and big g, gifts from God. And just really, really accepting those um, into your life. And sometimes gifts aren't always wrapped in pretty paper. They're not always what we think they are. And so I think, t- I don't know, To that quote to me is like understanding that we're truly loved by God and that the things that are in our life, even when they're yucky and ugly, are also gift or can also be gift if we accept them and and use them, I guess. Well, you, you mentioned something there about how much we are loved by God. I think that's I mean, a great point. It's hard for us sometimes to imagine God's love for us and to, to try to put that into something we can comprehend as, you know, I always say my pea brain can't figure <laughs> it out. And uh, getting people to understand the love of God is probably can be one of the biggest challenges at times. And so I think you bring up a great point. Maybe talk about some of the obstacles and the challenges you have now and and um, uh, share that with us if you would. Okay. Um, just, I don't 
since you keep track of time, just make sure you get to questions 11 and 12. Okay, okay. we will do that. Um, <laughs> Because it really wraps up to the, the first part and the engagement story that you asked about and, okay. and all sorts of things. I don't know. I Honestly, I some people would think it's weird that I say this after being widowed twice. I don't have a lot of obstacles in my life. Um, our, our family was well taken care of by both Tony and George. I've been blessed with a great job. I have a great home. I have great friends and family, so I don't know. I probably should have talked to Donetta more about that question because um, the biggest obstacles in my life are me getting in my own way sometimes, you know? I don't trust God like I should. I question a lot of things, which isn't what I should do as a strong, faithful Catholic, but I do. Um, and so, you know, second guessing what God wants for me, I, I, a lot of times I take things to God and I lay them at His feet. You know, figuratively, I do that in communion. You know, I, I go up there. George George always said, go up with your good stuff and your bad stuff, you know, when you're headed towards the altar and lay it at his feet and then take in Christ and, and leave that stuff up there, mm. which I think is a, like such a beautiful image of going to receive the Eucharist and, and taking your things to give to him, the good and the bad. But then I take them all back. Like before I'm even back to my seat, walking down the other mm. aisle, I, I go back and figuratively pick those things back up and, and put them back in my brain. And um, I've really, I continue, I hope, I think, to grow in my faith. Um, and these past couple of years, I've had to do it without George or with the memories of George, you know, things like, what would he tell me? Because he was such a rock about, you know, where to turn and stuff. And now I've had to figure out where to turn without him. And um, a lot of times I do. I get in my own way. That's mm -hmm. that would be my biggest obstacle. Yeah. There's a beautiful poem called Broken Dreams and you might just look that up sometime. Um, it is it's tough to let go because you just talked about letting them go when you go up to receive and then you know picking them back up. It's a beautiful poem that we um, actually use in prison ministry and, and we have to make copies people love it. But if you if you search it it'll it'll uh, should come up but just uh, the I'll poem Broke, broken dreams. So what about words of encouragement to those who are maybe struggling with a terminal illness or their loved one's terminal illness? What you know emotional struggles they might encounter how did you what would you say to them to help them get through the the real mountains of you know what seemed like a mountain to climb over and to deal with I don't know if I have great words of wisdom keep going don't give up and don't be afraid to feel what you feel I think for me so often I was like what am I supposed to feel or what am I supposed to think or what am I supposed to do there isn't a guidebook you know, you want a guidebook. And as someone who's been through it, I want to be able to be a guidebook for others that are going through it. But you can't. You can be there for somebody, but you can't tell them how they're going to feel or how they ought to feel. So I guess that's my my biggest encouragement is um, you do learn, as long as you lean on God and lean on your support system, you do learn to get through it. Get I don't know if you get over it. You get stronger because of it. And so just, I guess, keep going and don't be afraid to ask for help. I'm really no good at asking for help. But even if it just means saying, would you lay on the floor and cry with me? Because that's what I need right now. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to do that because the people who love you will do that with you. Sure, sure. Well, one of the other things I wanted to talk about, too, those who are, who are grieving a spouse, those who have been through what you've been through, and maybe it's more recent for them, although 
you know, George, it was just over two years ago. But what may be some things that, uh, that they will encounter, maybe some advice there going through their own grieving process? I, yeah, I think you touched a little bit on that just with the last question. But, but um, you know, there are those folks who are grieving a spouse. And that's, um, you know, I've never, I can't speak to it because I haven't dealt with it. I've dealt with the loss of a child, but I've never dealt with the loss of a spouse. So what would be some, maybe some words that would you, you would share with them? Again, I don't know. Anything I say won't be enough. You know, everybody has their own, their own situation and their own, all the circumstances that lead, lead up to a death, all the parts of your life, you know, rely on your faith, rely on your friends. I don't know. I'm, I'm one of those people. I really compartmentalize things well in my brain and in my emotions. And some will tell you that's a great way to get through life. And others will tell you that's the worst thing you could possibly do. I don't know. So if you're a compartmentalizer like me, that's okay. Be okay with that. People will judge you whether you whether they think that you're grieving enough or not enough, or whether you cry enough or don't cry enough, or you know whether you're you're at sporting events or whatever with your kids or you whatever you're going to do afterwards to to get through it. Just just do what feels good in your heart because you're going to have some great support. But you're also going to have some people that look at you funny if you're mm-hmm. still living life mm-hmm. and live life. I'm, I guess that's one thing that I would want to say to people. Live life. Your spouse or your child or your loved one, whoever it is, isn't up in heaven wanting you to be sad for the rest right. of your days on earth. They have. I mean, they're in complete love now. They're surrounded by capital L love. They're in it. Um, they want you to live life. And one thing that I guess I've really really realized is life is really short and you really don't know when it's going to be over so don't don't spend your days on earth being sad all the time yes i mean grieve grieve the loss of that person but they're not gone forever our belief is we're all going to be together again Mm -hmm. and um you know i i see george in different parts of my life all the time and feel him and won't ever forget him and um and Tony, too. I just speak about George more because you know him and, and sure. people around here know him. You know, just live your life and yeah. enjoy it. Don't be afraid to enjoy your life, even when you're grieving. Well, and I think the the other point, too, is that sometimes you only you know how you, you know, sometimes people try to tell you how to grieve yeah. or to stop grieving or to just get over it. Those type of things, which are, you know, I think it's horrible advice uh, because everybody is just in their own Absolutely. Like you mentioned earlier, everybody grieves differently. And so that's why I don't really want to give advice. Just 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 do it the way you do it. Yeah. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I think that's probably the best answer. I had to speak to our bereavement group uh, just a few weeks back. The talk really was on purgatory, but it was also on just on grieving. And everybody does grieve differently. There's not a perfect way. There's no cookie cutter way to do things. And I think that's. And I think uh, it comes in waves, too. You know, you can be fine for a while. And then all of a sudden you're driving down the road and you're in tears Mm -hmm. and you're not even sure why. Right. That's okay. 
And I think the other one that comes about, too, is oftentimes, um, you know, somebody who says, well, I just I'm afraid to laugh. I don't think if I think it's wrong if I begin to laugh again. And it's like that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And so and again, I I, knowing George, I would know George would want you to laugh. I mean, that part of him, you know, I don't didn't know him that well. I know him pretty well just from what we talked about. But I think those are things that people sometimes get a little bit afraid of is to. It's okay to be happy. Yeah, it's okay to be happy. Exactly. It's actually taken a couple of years to accept an invitation to speak here, obviously, just uh, some time. But what prompted you to come back now? Maybe just share your thoughts there. I had really been pondering what I was supposed to do with this whole idea of, of marriage and this great marriage that George and I had and how, how what we had was still going to be fruitful even while he's not here. Because that was a really important thing to us. We, we had to explore what fruitfulness meant as a different sort of couple than, than what you get when you go to engaged encounter and everybody's 20 something. And, and when George and I went, everybody thought we were the instructors because we were so much older. And we'd had very different experiences. And so fruitfulness to us wasn't going to be bearing more children. It was accepting the seven children that we had a amongst us, which Father Rich and George would both want me to note are dubbed the Magnificent Seven. Father Rich came up with that, and he would not want me to neglect to mention their their moniker there. And and how else to be fruitful with what we knew about love and marriage and mercy and, and second chances. And it's really, I've struggled so much with that. Like, what do I do with that now? Mm-hmm. And just recently... You know, I've, it's it's been heavier on my heart or my mind or whatever. And on October 1st, I was driving down the road thinking about this stuff. And the words, and I think they were George's words, I kind of, I George and I both tended to have kind of mystic experiences, if you will, now and then. And I heard the words, however you hear them, not not audibly, but in my head, don't waste it. And that was October 1st. I wrote it on a sticky note, and it's it's by my computer. And like, what does that mean? Don't waste it. And so that's, I reached out to Donetta then and said, okay, I don't know what I'm going to come talk about, but I have to come talk about something because George and I had something incredible and, and we, mm-hmm. we had an incredible faith life together. I grew so much in my faith while we were married and, and he left such a great faith mark on our kids and I think some other people around him, and so don't waste it. And um, so that's what prompted me to come back. And so I emailed Donetta, and I'm like, "Okay, I'm ready. I don't, I don't know what to talk about. So you're going to have to help me." But um, I, I feel like I'm supposed to come back, and that that would kind of start the ball rolling on what "don't waste it" means. I think that's uh, that's beautiful. The other thing I think about is a legacy. Not only did George leave a legacy for you and your family. I think George left a legacy for a lot of people, a lot of Catholics, a lot of people who knew him from Catholic radio, uh, listened to him on Divine Mercy Radio, or just knew him as a person. I think he left a beautiful legacy and just the fact that just how he truly embraced his faith. And that was one of the things that I was so impressed by when talking with him. And um, just the fact that, you know, that was so important to him. You're going to make me cry, Ken. I don't want to do that. (laughs) George would be, he was always so surprised when people said things like that about him because George just thought he was regular old George, you know. He didn't think he said or did anything particular or special. And so, like, I'm getting all emotional here because he would be so emotional um, knowing that 
that he left something. He he definitely did for me. I you know, and he was so unassuming. He was just there was something about him. His his laid back style, um, his honorary smile, all of those <laughs> things. I just think I was just I that is one of the interviews I'll remember. You know, and that, I don't know how many years ago that was. That's been a number of years yeah, back that you guys came in, but I still remember it. And I just remember him sitting right over there, <laughs> and just that honorary smile. And it was just such a blast to when he was yeah. around. So, Absolutely. and it's weird to think that he was as quiet as he was because I guess maybe he talked more on the radio. Yeah. But but uh, well, it, you know. it really depended who he was with. He didn't yeah. he didn't speak unless it was going to matter that he spoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I think the other thing I took away from that thinking about your wedding, it was not about anything. The celebration after it was all about. It wasn't about the, the celebration. It was about the mass. That was the center of things. And I was just so impressed by that because that was another thing I took away from that particular interview was that was what was important. Christ was at the center of the marriage, and that's where you took it and um, made that really the highlight where, unfortunately, today it's so much about all of the other stuff, the pomp and circumstance that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. And you guys didn't do that, and I thought that was so cool, too. So, Alyssa, what about where where is hope, grace or God? I mean, take, where is that taking you now? So funny, the way how letting go makes you stronger. Letting go can also bring you great surprises. So, I, you know, I said I had really been struggling with what do I do with this and how how am I supposed to be fruitful without George and what do I do with this faith and all of that. And I had had really tried to tell God what I thought he ought to do with my life <laughs> these past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And that could be a whole nother hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so I won't go into all that, but I so did. So you'll be back to talk about that next time. <laughs> I'll <right>? be back <laughs> about telling God what to do and how that doesn't work. Um, <laughs> well, that's the thing. The, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Exactly. exactly yes. Right. So I did. And I tried to kind of force and orchestrate a few things in the past couple of years to make things the way I thought they ought to be. And this fall, I, I gave that up. I was like, okay, fine. What? You do it. You figure it out, God, Um, which is what you're supposed to do from the beginning. And you're not supposed to say it with the attitude that I say it to God with. But that's to be honest, that's how I do it. Okay, fine. You do it. No, when we talked a couple months back, uh, when I saw you, you said, well, there's, you know, at that time you were still kind of. You know, I think maybe not sure about things or where things were going, but I think I I might have even told you that I was considering um, becoming a. Oh, gosh, I can't think of the word right now. Not a sister, but the, what they do up at St. Joseph's. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. You know, where you 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 decide that you're just going to live that life. You, right, you right. Consecrated choose, life. Yeah, something. something like that. Yeah. Like, I just, I'm done trying to figure out, and I think that's where God's going to send me. That's I, I think that's what's going to happen after my kids are grown, because that's been on my mind a lot the past couple of years. And every time I try to explore it, something kind of pushes me. Mm-hmm the other direction and um well and i yeah. think to, to touch on that and, and again i think the timeline is yours nobody else's it's got to be what's right for you and i yes. think so many times people and it, it doesn't matter what other people think i mean it doesn't you have to get to that um, point so, so yeah. here yeah. i go trusting trying to trust again 
I'm with you. I have that 70%, 30% thing uh, I, going yeah, on with too. God. Trust me, I do too. Well, so. we, we, we're just about to wrap up, but I do want to read this poem because I think it's pretty powerful and maybe some, somebody else can benefit from it as well. But uh, just talking about letting go and trusting. And again, I'm, I'm right there, but it's called Broken Dreams. And it's, it goes like this. As children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because he was my friend. But then instead of leaving him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last, I snatched them back and cried, how can you be so slow? My child, God said, what could I do? You never did let go. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, and it was uh, Loretta Burns who wrote that. And it was just one that, it's funny because this was one that we t- talked about in prison ministry, and I, we had to come with copies because guys and women both wanted copies of that, that particular poem. But it, it is a, it's a beautiful poem, and it's just learning to let go, which is a tough thing to do sometimes. So. Definitely. All right. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, always great to see you and, and uh, just we'll continue to keep you in our prayers and best of luck. Thanks, Alyssa. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in to One Body Stewarding God's Creation. If you can help keep great shows like this one on the air, please go to dvmercy.com and click on donate. Your donations will be very much appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 105.7 KM. DG Hayes, 101.7 KJDM, Lindsburg Salina, 88.1 KRTT Great Band, and 88.1 Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Stewarding God's creation.